You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to episode 117 of Flipping Tables. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And some follow-up on time zone insanity. Uh, how is it with time zones and having kids? Uh, it really sucks. Um, I can't. I, I don't know if I didn't think to bring this up of my own volition or if I was just like blocking out the terrible memories, but <laughs> this happens twice a year, every year. So even though my oldest daughter is just going to be three this year, we've still had to go through this six times now. <laughs> so... Anyone who has kids can tell you it really helps to like keep them on some kind of schedule, some sort of regularity. So much so that when we, so we live in mountain time, when we go visit my, uh, my folks and, and my wife's folks who live in East Coast time, we just don't tell my daughter that the time has changed. So she <laughs> just goes to bed later. She wakes up later. She eats meals later. Like she doesn't know. It's the amount of time between those events that she cares about. So we just let that time stay consistent and all is right with the world. But leading, so, you know, living here or anywhere, but I mean like leading up to it, every day we lie to her about what time it is by about 10 minutes for a week so that at the end of the week, she's an hour off. And then when we adjust, it's like, oh, okay, look, it's fine. You only adjusted by 10 minutes each day, which sounds really dumb. But like children are so regimented if you keep them on a good schedule that that actually works. I, it would probably work for adults, to be honest, but <laughs> no adult is that disciplined. <laughs> well, I've noticed even for pets that throws them off and they come and scratch at the door an hour earlier and you're like, no, nah, it's not time to get up yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, pets are the ultimate, like... That number on that circle up on the wall means nothing to yeah, me. Yeah, it's all, it's all them knowing when we get up and biological clocking that. Well, and, and I mean, you have a cat in particular, and I, I dealt with this growing up with, uh, you know, the cat we had, which is they're nocturnal. So for the few hours of, of a day that they are most awake, it's dark. So when we shift, uh, what would it be? I guess back to standard time and it's darker, like in the, and then, you know, goes on in toward winter and it's darker longer into the morning. That means more time you want to be sleeping. They're like, nah, let's do stuff. Like, let's, <laughs> let's party, man. It's dark. I'm, I'm wet awake. Time to sprint <laughs> in circles. Um, and then on, on just one other personal note about, uh, counting systems in general, um, I will say uh, I, I had occasion to visit Canada for work recently. Um, it was cool. I've never been to Canada. So I, I uh, did the obnoxious foreigner thing where I was like looking for little differences everywhere. And uh, they're actually I was not in, in, in the, the French Canadian part, which I guess is Quebec. Um, I was over in Vancouver, which is basically just North Seattle. Like it's <laughs> it's so the climate's the same, the kind of the culture is very similar, but there was one and literally only one thing that was a constant reminder that I was in Canada, which was the thermostat in my room was in Celsius. 
And I was like, oh man, this would make so much sense if I wasn't raised in the stupidest, most arrogant <laughs> country left on the planet. I'd know exactly what temperature it was in here. But instead, I just had to keep making minor tweaks up and down. I could have looked it up, but it was more fun to experiment. <laughs> yeah. But I was just like, this is exactly as stupid as the time thing to me. Like, we need to just accept that metric is better <laughs> and make it official. I should no, not make it official. It is actually legally the official measuring system of the United States. We need to enforce it. But that's another conversation. Um, and then uh, Susan of Eclectic Readers and also my wife fame uh, pointed out to me that the country I was thinking of that has a crazy 30 minute offset is Venezuela. Uh, so we have a friend who spent a lot of her life in Venezuela. Um, and she had told me about this. And I insisted that she was a lying liar who lies because I could not believe that there was a country that would do this. But it turns out that uh, they do. And they did. And then they stopped. And then they did again for crazy political reasons. And, and now as of like May 3rd, I think they're gonna it actually it says it on the Wikipedia page. Let me see here. As of oh, as of May first this year, they're actually going back to normal like hour based time zones. So, ugh. just thinking about all these time zone things just reminds me of the, the it's a double edged sword, but it's like the tyranny of time, like this like modern industrial age forward. Like we're gonna measure time, we're gonna hold people accountable to time, we're gonna schedule things, and like a lot of things I love about life is like I know if I go to this store at eight o'clock, they are going to be open, and I don't have to just like wonder if the old man's gonna walk and unlock his shop anytime soon, or if high noon is a different time in this town because it's slightly further north. <laughs> yeah. So that's all nice, but then it's also like, oh man, everything is measured out in, in like, but it's not like some Illuminati conspiracy where it's like the <laughs> one man behind everything set it up for order. It's like, no, a whole bunch of, you know, dozens of power struggles of different <laughs> areas. And so it's like horrible. <laughs> well, I mean, these 30 minute and 45 minute offsets and then uh, those are so obviously political moves where they're just like, ah, we hate our neighbors, so we're going to do our own thing. And then uh, the the states, the fact that we have, I think, three states, uh, Hawaii, I know, does not recognize uh, daylight savings because it's the same there all the time. Like <laughs> Changing the clocks would mean absolutely nothing when there are no seasons and everyone doesn't care what time it is. <laughs> Uh, and then Arizona has its absolute insanity. Um, and then I think Alaska also doesn't do... Can you confirm that? You have family uh, there? I don't know offhand. But I, I, I think there's a third state. Um, and let's just say it's Alaska for the sake of argument. But it, I mean, that, that's like such a, a whiny U.S. political thing. Like, ah, the federal government can't tell me what time it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to do live research. I am doing live <laughs> research. Most areas of the United States observe daylight savings times, the exceptions being Arizona, except for the Navajo Nation, which does observe it, Hawaii, and the overseas territories like American Samoa, Guam, uh, Puerto Rico, and Virgin Islands, stuff like that. Oh, okay. So that's worse because that's actually more people in more territories than I even <laughs> thought. Um, and so since you mentioned the Navajo Nation thing, I will... Link in the show notes to an excellent CGP Grey video that I think I've actually mentioned before, um, 
but he has a very nice visualization for how insane that Navajo nation within Arizona thing is because there's part of the nation that does recognize it and part that doesn't. Uh, so basically if you drove like this hundred mile stretch in and out of these different little like fiefdoms, it would technically necessitate something like eight watch changes as you went in and out of territories in a hundred mile stretch. I mean, <laughs> there aren't eight time zones in this entire half of the planet <laughs> in just this little, Oh God, it's, it's infuriating. Um, but it's okay because Swatch has actually come to save us. So oh. explain to me, Swatch internet time. Well, in the late 90s, they wanted to <laughs> emphasize their new dot beat uh, line of watches. And uh, to do this, they, they, they uh, introduced the idea of your day being divided into dot beats. Um, the, the dot stays there in front of it. I yeah, guess. I like that you're actually reading it dot beats. <laughs> I mean, it is written dot beats, so you're not yeah. wrong. And the way this worked is instead of seconds and hours and, you know, all that nonsense, um, the, the day is 1000 beats and so a beat you know works out to 20 or a minute and 26.4 seconds um just so that there's exactly a thousand in a day and uh so you know I'm, you know completely divorced from all the context <laughs> i'm kind of like yeah let's just have an even thousand units of time in a day and so i can be like see you at 600 i mean we can already do that with military time but um <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, it, it makes math easier because you you would start to internalize like how long 10 beats is and then how long 20 beats is. So if someone says like, I'll see you in 40 beats, you know internally like, oh, that's twice as long, right? Whereas if someone like I, I actually ran into this where I was talking to someone and uh, they said, how long do you think it will take? And I said, I don't know, like 75 minutes. And this person looked at me and went, like you're you, not allowed to do that. Do you mean an hour and 15 minutes? And then the 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 schmuck deep down inside me that's a pedant and wishes I was like a professional scientist was like, no, I meant 75 minutes because that is far more precise than one hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> Don't ever correct me again. <laughs> but the, the problem with internet time is not they chose too small of a number because there's nothing less than one beat, which is almost 90 seconds long. <laughs> now, now we need like fractional beats and then we have the same problem. <laughs> yeah. Then you have the exact same problem. I mean, I, it's, this seems like a clever idea that someone came up with and then did not in any way stress test it. And then somehow they were like, well, we, we already paid for the marketing materials. We got to run with this. <laughs> yeah. And they had a, a controversy with the Beatnik satellite. Um, so I'm reading this here that the, they were launching a Beatnik satellite intended to be like internet time from space. Um, but they were criticized for using an amateur radio frequency for broadcasting the message. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, you can't. Lots of weirdness going on. Yeah, you you can't use um, like open public frequencies for your business model that that tends to be frowned on. There was it for a while. There were actually a few models of Swatch watches that showed you 
you know, normal time, what we think of as regular time. And then underneath that, it showed you beat time. So there's like a picture here in the Wikipedia article. It says, you know, it's 1137, I presume in the morning. Uh, and then it says at 484 beats. So yeah, this is just before noon because that would be almost 500 beats, which would be half of the day. See how valuable this counting system is? <laughs> So I want to know how many dot beats a day you're still using Matomo. <laughs> um, zero beats? Am I allowed? I, I would have to go down into fractional beats because uh, I'm not using it for a full minute every day. In fact, most days it's it's really zero. I just... My, my, my twisting of the knife in the Matomo back is... Not only did I not use it for like four or five straight days, but then when I got a notification that someone had commented on something, I was like, oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I find like the, the there's a cognitive load to like, I see that there's new stuff in it and I'm like, oh, but I got to like wait for it to load and then I got to <laughs> like dig through all the answers and I don't know who answered. It might be a complete stranger or it might be Lions or someone I know where I'm more interested, but it's just a red dot. There's no single notification center that will just show me what the hell people did. <laughs> I have to navigate so intentionally into every single conversation and I just ain't no one got time for that. No. And doesn't this feel like the clunky navigation? Let, let's let's give Nintendo a huge, huge benefit of the doubt, <laughs> and pretend for a minute that they have this clunky navigation because they don't want you to be friends with even more than say a dozen people. Like I'm not friends with very many people. It's still overwhelming. And how annoying. do you have strangers commenting on your stuff? Well, if I look at the answers to your question that oh, I got oh, notified oh. for. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So there's a network effect, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And then if you are friends with even just one person who's thrown the doors open, now you're constantly <laughs> getting, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's broken. That's just broken. Yeah. And like, I'm never going to pay for anything in the app. Just never. I'm just not. Is, and where would you even do that? I've never been prompted for money. Well, you can buy the virtual money if you just want to be able to afford that, you know, new food novelty outfit that you ah. want. Um, and the mini game is totally like it's in the, you know, the spirit of like claw machines, totally random on whether it's winnable and like, like it never felt like something I was going to get good at. Oh, oh, did you not? Have you not seen the Reddit thread about this? No. Oh, man. So I will put this in the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 117 for this episode. Or do do anyone, am I the only person on earth who uses the notes in podcatchers? I do. Okay, good. Because they render really nicely in every podcatcher except the official iTunes one because they hate podcasts. <laughs> um, but I, well, I, I still will, see the like list of links to tap. Really? Yeah. Oh, the one. Well, we will have to. to Are do you some talking iTunes or the podcast app? The, the podcast app on an iOS device. Okay. We'll. we'll, we'll yeah. We'll. We'll it. troubleshoot off air. But the last time I checked, and not just our show, everybody shows it is a nightmare of unformatted <laughs> cluster. <laughs> um, okay. I uh, I found I don't know what made me look this up in the first place. I think I was just frustrated because I'd blown like fifty you know, stupid game tokens on uh, 
trying to win, you know, a waffle hat or whatever. And uh, someone realized that the games are basically predictable. Like if you have your me in the same position and at the same rotation, you will probably get the same result every time. It's well, not, some of the rooms have moving stuff, though. That's true, but you just time those things together. But but this is the thing is it's there's still a little bit of variation one because you don't have pinpoint control over when they drop and two your meme is taller than mine so I might get slightly different performance out of yours than I would out of mine and, and aren't and, they like swinging and then you press and they like exactly and you can't make it stop and then make like micro adjustments you have to time it so it's not perfect but some beautiful crazy people on the internet made a thread of what you need to do and how you need to do it and when you need to do it to win certain items on each game and more than once i unfortunately found myself going to that thread and trying it and getting success (laughs) but even being able to rig all of their little uh plinko games was not enough to keep me around no i'm i'm i don't think it's really fair to just say it's dead right like i don't think what, they just reached 10 million users or something? Yeah, something absolutely absurd. Because they notified everyone that they, they reached 10 million users. They sure did. Um, but I'm, I'm, my problem with leaving a social app is it feels, because there's no way to like declare in a, a socially accepted way, like, hey, I'm not going to check into this anymore. It just feels like you're in the middle of conversation with someone at like a house party and then they like reach over to get their drink and when they turn back to look at you, you're just gone. (laughs) Well, and like the, it really is like your surrogate. It's not you. It's your sim because like (laughs) I'm not in your room. My character is in your room. (laughs) Well, yes, let's keep it that way, shall we? Please don't just randomly show up in a waffle suit. But, like, when your character is in my room, it's not like, oh, Lions is here. Let's, like, do something. It's like, oh, who cares? <laughs> Isn't that, in a way, like, even a little bit weirder? Because now that I'm not using it, I'm still going around talking to people and answering their questions. <laughs> Just a glimpse of the future. Ugh. Oh, now I feel even more creeped out. Let's talk about this weird messaging app thingy. Okay, so of course they had a medium post to say how they're making the world a better place. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to start it off right here. Talk show is texting in public. People text amazing things. Um, So talkshow.im is their website, and uh, the the app's called Talk Show, and it's a a messaging app that looks exactly like iMessage or any other messaging app, um, except it's all public. And uh, so you kind of create your own little texting stream and you identify who gets to be host of this room and then everyone else in the world if they want to can just look in and watch um and that's it and i think it's sort of born out of this phenomenon of like funny celebrities that have private conversations with their celebrity friends and then screenshot iMessage and then post that to twitter and so they're like what if we just made an app for that yeah and that sounds like such a god awful idea because <laughs> so the the in the medium post uh it says that this was inspired by this particular Instagram pic Taylor Swift posted of a conversation with Ed Sheeran 
Sheeran. Sheeran. Uh, that pushed me toward talk she show. Ran. <laughs> she Shira. It looks like Shira. Um, I don't know this person. Um, but it's uh, it's it's go to sleep. This is is Taylor. It starts with Taylor, and then it alternates back and forth. Go to sleep. I'll talk to you soon. In a bizzle swizzle, like you said, Ed. That's okay, Tay. You'd think for multi-platinum lyricists, we'd do better. Ha ha. How much <laughs> worthless garbage that no one on earth would care about except that it's coming from a celebrity preceded that nonsense yeah. or comes after that nonsense. And I get it. There are lots of people who are, are like super into celebrities. Um, I I... There are celebrities, like if I met Mark Hamill, I would beg him to do like the Joker voice on my voicemail, even though I never answer voicemails. Like, I, but I would beg, like I would beg and plead with him. But, <laughs> but most celebrities, the vast majority of celebrities, I just don't uh, care about. And they are smart enough to only put their best <laughs> foot forward. They don't share the entire unfiltered text messaging stream they have because it's mostly boring i'm sure because they are just people <laughs> um and so you brought up this ed sheeran and taylor <laughs> swift conversation and you know someone might be listening and be like well who cares about taylor swift whatever like um but this is what got the these this this uh, owner of talk show out of bed in the in the middle of the night was like aha eureka <laughs> <laughs> Um, that conversation, you know, in a bizzle swizzle, like you said, Ed, it's okay, Tay. That was what sparked him to be like, I have an idea that will change the world. And so it's not <laughs> like, I don't know, like Steve Jobs thinking of the iPhone or, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg thinking about connecting the whole world and, and collecting all their data with Facebook. Um, <laughs> this was like, oh, yeah, there's like some stupid celebrity joke and they just won't have to screenshot and then crop that screenshot and put it on Instagram. <laughs> like, well, they, they still totally will because presumably they will not now have all of their communications be in public, which means you're still going to have, even if everyone started using talk show, they would still have some private communication out of which some funny things worth sharing would presumably spring forth. So I feel like this is an effort to create the circumstances around which more of these moments might come up, but putting on my, uh, my hipster, you know, Denver hat, I'm going to say that, you know, creating the circumstances for art to just be made makes all of that art inauthentic. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it like instead of just saying like when I sit around with my friends, we have a good and funny time. You're now saying like sit on that stage and be funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a very different proposition. Well, there is something like kind of like I follow a lot of comedians on Twitter and you probably see me retweet a bunch of them all the time. Yes, I do. And uh, it's it's funny watching them like playfully, totally not seriously, like shit on each other. <laughs> <laughs> Fake. And right. like for some and I there is something about like, well, if they took that and made it a Comedy Central show. And like made it official and had actual sequences. All right, here's Kumail making fun of Michael Ian Black. Uh, I mean, it, it, and not like the roasts because the roasts are kind of funny, but they like, can be. But like totally making it like, haha, we made this an official show. Like it does take something away from like if you're just wandering around outside and you happen to see them and they're like saying something funny to each other and it's just spontaneous. Well, because it's the 
the delight of being surprised. Like yeah. if you if you go to a comedy show, you expect it to be entertaining, and that doesn't mean that it's not entertaining, but you have a certain expectation like, well, here I am. I'm about to be entertained. If you were just out in the world and you're standing in line at like Walgreens and Jim Gaffigan is having an argument with the clerk, like that would be way funnier probably than him telling you later because you could be like, Oh, I was just like checking my email on my phone. I realized like Jim Gaffigan was having this insane argument with the clerk. And then later when it was in his standup, you'd be able to be like, Oh, I was there. Like that was hilarious. That was so right. You can't, um, really artificially recreate that. And I feel like such a tool saying like, Oh, it's so inauthentic. But the whole idea of, what if you took all your private communication and did it in public in case something funny happened? Seems really dumb. Like, well, really people dumb. People aren't going to have private conversations on this. Not, in fact, they won't, but also, <laughs> like, the conversations won't be the same as you would have in private. Um, so it's just, it's its own thing. But it's sort of weird to me to be like, all right, we've seen certain kinds of communication happen on Twitter or happen on Facebook or in this case happen in private but then get posted later um, because you know like selected curated out of private communications and it's weird to be like let's just create an entire app around this one slice of other communication channels and like I, I think the the best long-term ideas um, for communication apps tend to be broader platforms not well, we thought of one way people should use something, <laughs> and we're only serving that one way. That's great for all sorts of other kinds of apps. Like Instagram is a really simple way to share pictures, and it really tries hard not to let you do a bunch of other stuff like spam links everywhere because um, you can only put a link in your profile, and you only get one. And so now <laughs> everyone just says link in profile every <laughs> single time they post something. But at least you don't have you know a bunch of crap everywhere. But I don't know. Does specialization work for communication apps like it does for other kinds of apps? I mean, it, it just feels uh, like, oh, this is the, the letter writing paper, but I actually just need to make a grocery list, but I'm all out of grocery list paper. So I have to go to the store and buy the paper I'm allowed to write a grocery list on. Like it, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not quite that contrived, but it's also entirely too close to being that contrived to not be you know looked at with a scrutinizing eye and uh this is as i noticed you complained in the notes uh ios only yeah and you know i carry an android phone but i have an ipad for work so i tend to test this crap out on there sometimes and like a good technologist i was like well this seems super dumb but i'm gonna look at it and there were some weird ui things that I don't know if this is what the creator of this app intended or if it just immediately after it was released to the world, you know, people started saying like, yeah, I don't want to do your thing. I want to do this other thing that you did not write rules to stop me from doing in your app design. And one of them is you can, so the, the general principle is I would like invite you to a show and then you and I text back and forth and anyone can read it but only we can uh, comment in there and then we can invite other people. I think people can react in, in some way, but there, it's not like part of the main 
thread flow. <laughs> so it's like obvious who's the host and who's the audience. But then you can just invite whoever you want. So some of these shows have like literally hundreds of hosts, which is just, it's like, it's terrible. <laughs> it's like Twitch plays Pokemon. <laughs> it is. It's just a giant mess. It's like trying to, you know, go into a party and, and not have a conversation off to the side, but insisting you stand near other people that are having a loud conversation. <laughs> and and it just makes trying to catch up on it impossible. And it makes keeping up with it a chore. Yeah. And then there's, so that's like one extreme. And then the other extreme is I noticed several shows where people just said like, Hey, do you remember this thing from that time? Uh, comment with your thoughts and it's like we this is a solved problem yeah you just described a discussion forum or a post on literally any other social network ever yeah like this is not only is this kind of an obnoxious thing for you to do in general because you're just sort of like you don't have anything you're just hoping people will comment with interesting things that other people will come to read and i find that a little bit obnoxious but you are doing what? it in like the worst possible platform. <laughs> why would I do this in this insane stream of consciousness with no threading? No. Um, <laughs> why wouldn't I go to Reddit for this kind of content? Or Discourse, or Facebook, or Google Plus, or God, even Twitter would be at least as bad. And there's some <laughs> kind of threading. Like it's, I don't, this whole thing, I, I don't. Like, I kind of want to try it. Like, I sort of want to start a show and see what it's like to host one. Well, I just invited you to the Flipping Tables show. Oh, man. (laughs) We'll put a link in the show notes. In fact, I think we're just done doing an audio podcast. We're just going to write on talkshow.im. Yeah, this is obviously the future. This is one of those kinds of platforms that I... The, 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 the table flipper in me just wants to be like, no, this is dumb. This cannot possibly be smart. This is everyone who thinks this is fun will be burned out on this like next weekend, but I'm going to give it a fair shake. So by the time we're recording Saturday night, so by the time this episode is released, hopefully we'll have put a couple messages in there (laughs) at least and not burned it to the ground immediately. So there'll be a link in the show notes for everybody. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you see this in any way being co-opted by brands and how early yesterday do you think they already co-opted this probably? <laughs> <laughs> it, it all comes down to if people really want to watch celebrities, not really brands, but I'm not going to go to the Coke channel and be like, yeah, that is refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a picture of me also enjoying a Coke. <laughs> but uh this sort of like celebrity roast kind of thing, like maybe there's an audience there where instead of on Twitter where you have, you know, you have Michael Ian Black making fun of, you know, Tina Fey or whatever, someone. And then like, it's like this playful, haha, public, not really spat. Um, that's a very niche thing, but you know, it's a thing. Um, on this format, you wouldn't have all the shitheads getting in the middle of it on Twitter and being like, well, actually, or not getting the joke. And like Kumail said something about like the, the Ghostbusters trailer and like 
why people are, you know, it's got the most dislikes of any movie trailer ever on YouTube for any reason. Great. And he's like, basically, misogynist found the dislike button <laughs> and are writing bots and like, using, you know, the internet insane pitchfork machine of bigots and horrible people um, is doing their thing on the Ghostbusters YouTube trailer because, you know, there's nothing else important to do with their lives. <laughs> And, you know, I was watching the replies to him, and, and it's all this, like, well, I'm not allowed to not like a movie. I automatically hate women. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> anyway, that's a long way of saying maybe there's some, I don't know, it's all about, like, these slices and niches. But, like, the, they're not just competing with Twitter or iMessage screenshots. They're They're competing with Reddit and... Tumblr and you know all these other communities that are already established which is you know I'm not like oh the incumbents always win of course incumbents get disrupted all the time but is this the kind of thing that's going to disrupt them I'm not sure well I'm I'm kind of like paging through this on and off and looking back at my notes and it it really seems like this can work for a specific group size like two to let's say six so no more than six hosts ever and never just one because that (laughs) one guy that's called a twitter account there are there are shows like that where it's just one person who throws a topic idea out there and i'm like this is a reddit post you are and it's there's nothing wrong with that kind of of discussion but your contribution in that case is um Hey, remember '90s cartoons? And then you just want people to flood you with nostalgia, like that's yeah. that's fine, but that's not a conversation. That's like it's it's panhandling. Yeah, and on Reddit, it's really easy to like unsubscribe from entire swaths of like I don't need any more, you know, animal advice. I'm good. <laughs> um, I don't want to see that anymore, and so you cannot see it. And this would be a little more like, well, I have a thousand conversations and I can't easily group all the animal advice ones and stop following them. <laughs> so how long until, you know, people are like, ha ha, subscribe, ha ha, subscribe. And then a month later, they're like, yeah, I'm kind of done with that app because it's just an avalanche of crap and I've, I'm not going to go through and weed through it. Yeah. But to your point, you know, if there was uh to like I, I don't know why I brought Mark Hamill up earlier, but like Mark Hamill, <laughs> like he is known to be pretty funny and he does Twitter pretty well. And I could imagine like if in some fantasy universe where like Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford are best friends, like I would totally read their public <laughs> Not even in fantasy universe. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally just like read their text messages back and forth because Mark Hamill would make it his job for it to be funny and interesting and entertaining like that. I wouldn't need to participate in that. I would be willing to just be a fly on the wall. And I I'm thinking like even for, um, content creators like ourselves, like I can imagine someone saying like, Oh, I wish I could see like the back channel while you guys are like setting up for a show or while you're, um, you know, doing a show, like if I could follow your complaints about Skype being a dumpster fire and slack or something like that, I could understand someone wanting to do that. But these, these, uh, talk shows that I've found that are, you know, 50, 60, a hundred, two, three, 400 people participating. It's like, <laughs> it's no. just a chat room. I mean, yeah, it's, it's nothing new. It's, it's when just you have a that. terrible, 
terrible chat room. <laughs> An old-fashioned, threadless, no deliminators, no way to tell where you left off. Every time you join, you're always at the bottom. Like just oh. ugly humanity <laughs> on display. Yeah, it's. I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm. We're gonna try it. Like I'm gonna. I'm gonna put in an effort. I don't want to uh, yuck someone else's yum. But my <laughs> my initial reaction is like. <laughs> All right. Should we talk about video games? Hell yes. So Square <laughs> seems to like be targeting you specifically. So what are they coming out with that makes you yum? So they, a couple of years ago, dropped Bravely Default, uh, which is actually made by a bunch of people at Square Enix who were like, you remember RPGs in the 90s? Let's do more of that. And they kind of like broke from the direction that Square has gone with Final Fantasy and a lot of their other like modern, like Kingdom Hearts and these other modern franchises and, uh, or long running, I guess, long running slash modern and, and made something that is so obviously pandering to people who like that style of game. People like me, people like apparently a lot of people because the game did incredibly well. And, uh, Bravely Second just hit, uh, North America a few weeks ago. Um, and now... Did you buy it yet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've only gotten to play it a little bit because, you know, kids and job and life and those things, unfortunately, don't all go really well with playing a lot of video games. But it's more of the same, which is what I wanted. They actually introduced another mechanic that is so fourth wall breaking and so rewarding, like old, fa- like the way you wanted <laughs> to play video games when you were 15 or 12 or however old you were in that, that era. But like you can, at the end of a battle, if you won that battle in one round, say, nah, I could do another. And then (laughs) you just get more monsters. And then if you beat them, you get a multiplier to your gold and experience. And if you beat that battle in one round, you can go, nah, I could do another. And you can keep doing that all the way up to, a, I think, a 3x multiplier. So not only can you at any time turn the amount of random encounters up and down so that grinding is made easier, not only can you double, no, quadruple x the the animation speed to make grinding go easier, <laughs> not only can you automate the, com- the controls so you don't even have to press the buttons to make grinding go easier, but you can just <laughs> flat out get extra experience. So, like, if you really want to max out every class and you really want to level 99 everybody, like, okay, fine. We are going to make that less annoying for yeah. you. So, it's like, remember how great RPGs were and want to not remember the horrible, annoying <laughs> parts? We've, we're with you. Yes. And I am totally on board with this, like, school of game design because... There was a long time between Final Fantasy IV, which I love dearly and actually watched you play on YouTube gaming (laughs) just because I was like, I am happy to just see someone else enjoy Final Fantasy IV. Like, I don't even have to play it. But, you know, game design and technology, mostly design elements, have come a really, really long way since then. And these little tweaks, like... I was in a dungeon, so I was playing the the demo, and I was in a dungeon, and I beat the boss, and I was just wrecked. Like, no healing items, most of my party dead, only a little bit of health for the few people remaining, and I was like, I just want to walk out of here. Oh, wait, I can set the encounter rate to zero, 
and then I can just walk out of here. Like, it's not going to enhance my enjoyment of the game if I die, have to go grind, and then do this dungeon again. Just let me walk out of here. Yeah. And and they just acknowledge, like, yeah, it's not about overcoming, you know, the greatest trial in all of gaming. If walking out of here when you should have died on the way out makes you have a good time, we're going to let you do that. When even in the 90s, Square was very cognizant of the annoyance of grinding, and they, they even had in their marketing materials like, you don't have to grind to beat Final Fantasy 2, 4, but 2 on Super Nintendo. And, uh, you know, they were never the worst example. Like, one of the worst games for that ever of popular RPGs to me was like the NES Dragon Warrior games. <laughs> they were grindy <laughs> as hell and they're slow. And like, all those innovations you talked about, like, none of that's there. It's like the battle was very verbose. Like, <laughs> the skeleton hath cast sleep. The, the sleep hath worked and like everything's a separate sentence and you're just like, come on. Even little things like just being able to skip like the opening and closing battle animation. Yeah. It's just like, yep, okay, I get it. Like those are <laughs> precious seconds saved off every single fight. And if you're going to power up everybody on every job all the way, like which they know the players that aren't going to do that aren't going to benefit from these design tweaks, but it doesn't harm them in any way. <laughs> a studio within Square Enix because they are so large that they have enough staff to have other studios <laughs> in their gaming studio. Uh, they released a game in Japan, uh, I guess, last year, and it's just about to come to the States uh, sometime soon, and it's called I Am Setsuna. And it literally, speaking of how honest their marketing materials are, in the little teaser uh, video for this that's on their, their website, uh, it says, um, you remember how good Chrono Trigger was? We basically <laughs> just remade Chrono Trigger. <laughs> like, it's so... I mean, they, th that that's only lightly paraphrasing the language in this video. And watching uh, this gameplay video, uh, that, that PlayStation, because it's a PlayStation 4 exclusive, uh, <laughs> watching this video that they put onto uh, YouTube, it, it, it's Chrono Trigger. It's, it's Chrono. They just re-released Chrono Trigger. Yeah, they really did seriously make this Chrono Trigger exactly. Like, there's three people in the party. They have tech for abilities. Um, they can combine. I saw in the videos, they do like an X-Strike, basically exactly like Chrono Looks and Frog. exactly like that one. <laughs> Like, oh man, they didn't even come up with new combo moves. Like, they stole the engine and the techniques from the engine. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not even mad. And the, the, supposedly it's like Chrono Trigger where there's no random encounters. I mean, there are basically random people in the field, but you see them and you can usually try to run around them or avoid them. And I, I didn't really have any big problems with Chrono Trigger. Um, I mean, is there anything you don't like about that game? About the original Chrono Trigger? Yeah. That I'm not playing it right now? <laughs> or that you wouldn't be like, you know, in 2016, like, well, that was fine in 1996, but you don't need to do that now. Oh, no, it absolutely holds up. Um, I mean, there would those little things like, okay, that, that, you know, starting battle animation was like a little slow, but <laughs> those, those paper cuts are so small and so far between right because every battle sort of starts in its own way since the enemies are in the field 
there's a couple times like in Magus's castle where an enemy like drops down and you're like, all right, I get it. I'm going to, I'm going to fight. Like, yeah, you <laughs> fall down the pit and you're like, ah, uh. yeah. But, but those things, because they are, uh, not constant, they're, they're like really spread out. You're sort of like, oh, this is like unique to this area, right? The enemies like pop out of the bush or they fall from the ceiling or whatever. Well, and they're, they're also the foil to the game making fun of that half the time <laughs> where like an enemy will pull switch and he'll fall and he'll be like, yes. <laughs> yeah, sure. That game w- was really self-aware. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, the last time I played Chrono Trigger all the way through was probably three years ago and I had a good time. Like I played it cover to cover. I didn't get like all 87 endings, but you know, I did play it all the way through and was happy with it. Which, by contrast, Chrono Cross is... Nah, I didn't like it. I couldn't finish that when it was new. I didn't really ever grok it. Like, <laughs> there was all these characters, and there was this time mechanic thing, and I just never got to a level of, like, I get it. Oh, I'm totally gonna, like, you know, tear this <laughs> game a new one and, like, explore everything. It it always kind of hovered in that, I don't know what's happening or where to go or what to do. And um, you don't want to be in that spot with an RPG. No. No, that's Dragon Warrior, man. Like, where do I go? What do I do? I have no idea what's happening. Do I really need to read old English? <laughs> uh, this trend generally in, in game design, like, we took a a game that is obviously ripe for nostalgia and modernized the parts of it worth modernizing. I am so on board with this. Uh, This, I I love RPGs. I would say RPGs are probably my favorite uh, genre of video game. Um, But uh, action RPGs or action games like Legend of Zelda or, uh, or, or Castle. Yeah, Link Between Worlds. Like, yeah, give me 10 of those. So good. You know, Nintendo can feel free to clone Super Metroid a hundred times. They did that on <laughs> Game Boy Advance, but they haven't done it since. Yeah. Like, all we got on DS was Metroid Prime Hunters, a crappy 3D multiplayer game, <laughs> or in a pinball game. And I'm like, never go full pinball. Like, give me wait, real wait, proper games. Wait, what? There's a, well, there's a Metro. Are you, is Samus I the mean, ball? Morph ball. Yeah. What? <laughs> This is what is this called? I need to see this right now. I I think it was Metroid Prime Pinball or something like that. Um, I know I didn't buy it because I, you know, is <laughs> is nostalgic as I am for Sonic Spinball. I never actually really liked that game. It was just kind of a novelty. See, I actually liked Sonic Spinball, but it also was for ten minutes. And, no, I I played that all the way to the end. But it actually took place in a universe where you were like, well, Dr. Robotnik builds all kinds of insane nonsense. Like, is this <laughs> really any weirder than any of the other stupid crap he's done? Granted, the frame rate was like six frames per second when there was a lot of stuff on screen. But Samus is never like, <laughs> yeah. oh, the, the Chozo have designed a, a pinball universe. Uh, you were right. It is it is Metroid Prime pinball. And even the cover art looks like a sad... Photoshop because it's just like her helmet and the giant shoulders and then like pinball flippers. And those shoulders keep getting bigger, man. It's weird. Well, everything else on her costume keeps getting reduced, so they're like, we'll just pack it into the shoulders. It's fine. It's just more shoulders Shoulder powered. This is, uh, I don't know. anyway, but 
<laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm looking at so, screenshots for this, and I'm like flabbergasted. Well, people always give Nintendo crap for like rehashing everything they've ever done, and I'm never mad about that. This I I will buy that crap until like, <laughs> I'm in the grave. Like, um, and it's it's telling that cannot like Square's figuring it out internally, but like all the Konami and Capcom people have to leave. You know, like Inafune and whoever else. The what's the is that the Castlevania guy? Um, and if you, uh, yeah. or is he the Mega Man guy? I think he's the Mega Man guy. Okay, uh, well then there's, we're, there's we're another, losing so much geek cred right now. I know there's another famous director that did all like Symphony of the Night and all those um, Metroidvania games. So and I, uh, Inafune is the Mega Man guy. I, okay. I did not back Mighty Number no. Nine because I was like, I'm gonna wait. There's been a lot of Mega Man clones. I'm gonna wait and see what this is like. I totally backed the other guy's thing on Kickstarter, yeah. and I am like. I mean, it's a game. It's going to take forever for it to come. But that's up. the thing is, they like Konami and Capcom aren't willing to sell nostalgia anymore. I guess or anything. I guess, <laughs> but <laughs> Konami is just like I don't know, eating their own poop and sitting around. Ugh. But <laughs> well, I mean, this, so Mega Man uh, is a franchise, obviously, that can benefit from modern game design, like things we have learned in the last twenty-five years since that franchise, like kind of had hit its zenith and now was on the way down and uh you know metroid also could like tremendously benefit from like no just give me more 2d metroid but learn from you know what you couldn't do before or what you didn't know before um the the metroidvania style games like i'm really looking forward to that game it's like blood something blood i don't know i'll find it but yeah, it sounds like a Castlevania title, but it's just off enough not to get sued. Yes, it, um, it really is. Because it sounds like exactly like Because it's the... like blank of blank, colon, <laughs> yes. harmony of something. Like. Yeah, yeah, super the exact same format. Um, but, but they have to go to Kickstarter and form independent studios and like yeah. try to raise funding from fans, which it's working so far but not every nostalgic old franchise is going to be able to do that i backed descents being rebooted as a multiplayer six axis every direction shooter oh, did that one make uh, its goal yeah and they're actively developing and you know i've i fired up the alpha and was like yeah i'll come back in a while guys <laughs> bloodstained ritual of the night yeah <laughs> Yeah, all I had to that is literally the first result for Castlevania Kickstarter. <laughs> so what does that tell you? Like this incredibly well-known and well-regarded franchise, when you look up the name of it plus Kickstarter, it's just all of the product that they should have been making at Konami. And if this game gets released and if it has any success, they now get none of that. And there was some other PS4 indie game I just saw that was like it had also a title exactly like that, and it looked like a Metroidvania game. Um, I also have been playing Axiom Verge, which we discovered came out years ago, but I just had totally forgotten about it. But it's a, <laughs> a sci-fi spin on a, a Metroidvania kind of game. You're like a scientist that gets to some other dimension, and you're trying to figure... And there's, spoiler alert, some, some time uh, cloning type Ooh. twist to it, but... Um, every time you die, it's it's a new you. It's a ooh creepy, <laughs> yeah. And one of the yous has gone on and become a villain, and you're trying to figure it all out. Oh, so it's Bioshock Infinite, <laughs> <laughs> sort of, but not parallel universes, just cloning. Spoilers. Sorry for anybody who hasn't played that like now five year old game. 
you play that for the game, not the story. Although I've decided, I, I did. What, <laughs> I did really enjoy that story, though. Um, but th- this is—I uh, don't know why games seem to have wait. Hmm. I'm, so I'm thinking this through in my head. Uh, games have been so driven by graphics and features, and now that those things are so, sort of starting to to plateau a little bit. There's still more to do. There's VR and there's smell of vision and whatever the next stupid thing is. But we have hit a, a place where just like the Super Nintendo kind of defined what gaming was in that generation. And then like the PS1 and then, well, really the PS2 and Xbox like defined that generation. Right. And like now all hardware is kind of the same. All platforms yeah. pretty much have the same capabilities. So I feel like there's this moment where game designers are like, man, you know what I actually spend most of my time doing? Replaying old games that I used to love. Why don't we just make more of those? And, <laughs> you know, in the last like 10 years, people, I I don't feel like designers really had that kind of like freedom to breathe. Well, and gaming's just like so new. Video gaming is so new relative to other arts that it never had a nostalgia to draw on. It's like, yeah, we made chess and we made other like pre-video games into video games, but, you know, when Mario 2 came out or like Zelda came out, there wasn't really (laughs) much to look behind it. Like, yeah, there was some things you would call adventure games before that, but eh, not really much to look at. Well, and even uh, like tabletop gaming, like obviously Final Fantasy and Dragon Warrior, yeah, those were all inspired by Dungeons and Dragons and their ilk, but it wasn't until video games had been around for a while that there was even a powerful enough console or PC to simulate all of the rules of D&D. So even the first games that were obviously based on that kind of game style couldn't be nostalgic because they were like we all we're spending all of our time just pushing technical limitations because yeah. we haven't even met like a one-to-one parallel with our inspiration yet what i remember is a big deal like john madden wouldn't put his name on a football game until it really showed 11 on 11 like none of this like five on five seven on seven fake football and that was like he like it had to be quote realistic <laughs> and you know show the proper number of players on the field <laughs> that's you know i always thought it was weird even though i'm not a, a big sport baller uh even i as a young child was like why are there only two players in nba jam like where's <laughs> where's everyone else when we play basketball in pe there's more people than this like what is happening here <laughs> And then, of course, you could unlock Bill and Hillary Clinton. Right. That's, <laughs> that's some vintage 90s bitmap yeah. <laughs> sprites. Yeah, it was weird. Um, <laughs> so so this is where uh, gaming is looking back and benefiting. What weird things is Nintendo <laughs> making a push on now? Well, the the rumor is that they're going to release Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem on mobile. And this is what people have been yelling, not the, these games specifically, but they've been yelling at Nintendo, hey, don't make me buy your weird little hardware. Just give me games <laughs> so I can pay you on the, the app stores. Um, I have to say Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem are perfectly suited to touch screens. And like, I'm not like, why did you do that? I'm like, oh, that would work great. Like, uh, <laughs> 
a grid-based strategy game, yeah, I can easily tap. Oh, is, to... is that how the battle system in Fire Emblem works? Yeah, it's like kind of tactics-like. Oh, yeah, no, that's awesome for touch. Yeah, and Animal Crossing is like, you know, super casual, pay your mortgage while <laughs> you're uh, commuting to work to pay your real mortgage um, on the bus. And yeah, you're you're collecting bugs and walking around and talking to other animals, and it's really like, it's not like Contra where a touchscreen <laughs> is going to be disastrous. So do you think Nintendo led with Mitomo, even though we all knew they were going to do this? Like, they, why <laughs> would they not cash these checks? It's like someone had already handed them a check written out to them with a dollar amount. It's like, what, are we going to just not cash this? Of course we're going to cash this. <laughs> yeah. We're going to put our existing IP that works on a touchscreen onto a touchscreen and please just give us more money. <laughs> but will these games be thirty nine ninety nine? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, they won't be that much. But will they follow Square's model and be fifteen ninety nine? So let me ask you this: Are these ports of existing games, or are these new entries into these existing franchises? I have no idea. Okay, because that to me is like big time relevant. Because if they are ports of existing games. Then I say like five or ten bucks is reasonable because the game already exists. You can wrap it in an emulator that someone else wrote and then basically just collect money. Like the the amount of effort they have to put in is incredibly trivial in a situation like that. Whereas if it's a new game in that franchise, then it's a new game. They, they're going to write it native to the platform, I'm sure. They, they would have to come up with new art assets and they would have to do things with the hardware they haven't had to do before and and on and on and on anything that goes with developing a game for a mobile platform and then i would say like yeah 15 20 30 dollars is fine these are full games that you had to pay developers to develop but if you're going to sell me what essentially amounts to a game boy advanced emulator with a game you already wrote running in it like no you can't have 30 of my dollars so it seems these are so this isn't just a rumor this they actually put a press release out um where they summarize what they've done with Matomo and sort of like their their what's on the horizon. So you know NX, their next console, which we aren't really talking about this episode because they didn't unveil anything. No, yet, there's but, nothing there. Um, but these are two mobile apps based on the familiar and beloved Fire Emblem and Animal Crossing franchises. So it sounds like they're new things based on them. And I don't know what that means. Um, are these like you know free to play, horrible in-app purchase hell <laughs> like? facsimiles of their real games because i'm not interested in that like you know i don't want fire emblem all right you finish one level pay us 99 cents per battle and I'm like no i'll buy a whole game but i don't want to <laughs> sit here and <laughs> dole it out a dollar at a time like oh sorry you died we ramped the difficulty up better pay us to pay to win so having never played either of these franchises but kind of understanding their their mechanics a little bit uh could you imagine a fire emblem like game where it's like yeah there's no story this is literally just battle after battle after battle after battle there's no story there's no overworld there's no nothing like this mobile game is just you can fight it's the fighting part um well they could do that um there, there's games like that out there like sort of just you know infinite runner but instead of running you're you're infinite battling and like 
once you get killed, you start over at level zero or like maybe you get to keep what you have. But um, with Fire Emblem, it's not really like it has a story, but I don't really care about the story. It's like, (laughs) oh, there's this evil guy and there's a dragon, whatever, like you're going to fight him and kill him. Um, But what I do like and love about Fire Emblem, like any good Nintendo game, is the the really tightly executed progression of challenges. So the levels get harder and it's satisfying to defeat the new puzzle or the new, oh, how am I going to win this battle? And if it's just like totally random number generator gets hard and then you die and then they ask you to buy something like that's to me, that's not fire emblem anymore. Like the story can go to hell. They'll probably have one. But to me, it's, it's, I mean, Nintendo story is always the last thing they tack on. Like, Star Fox Adventures was an entirely different game that they decided needed Star Fox characters. Um, they, they very, they aren't even hiding that, you know, when Miyamoto comes up with an idea for a new Zelda, a new Mario, he's like, boats and then they design the entire story around what he thought was going to be fun and that's fine i don't play nintendo's games for story and so as long as they capture that sense of hey we made this fun and you know the challenge evolves in a nintendo fun way i'm in so you have often said whenever we talk about games particularly nintendo games that you would pay and i would pay and anyone with common sense would pay for a Zelda game that was just dungeons. Yeah, like, Portal is that. <laughs> yeah, just 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 Zelda dungeons for for thirty hours. Here's eighty dollars, whatever you want, you know. And and I'm just wondering if the the story in like a Fire Emblem because I'm I'm what I'm imagining in my head having not played through Fire Emblem is would I play Final Fantasy Tactics without any of the stuff in between battles? And I don't necessarily mean like randomly generated battles, but if it was literally just you beat the level one battle, now there's level two battle, now there's level three battle, here are the new classes that are available to you, here are the new monsters and things you're going to have to deal with. So the the game mechanics are still well thought out. It's just there is a tenuous at best string connecting (laughs) each of those gameplay interactions. Would I still find that fun? And I think I would. I think I would, too. The only thing that I'm grappling with is I actually really love Final Fantasy Tactics story. Like, I enjoy the gameplay mechanics tremendously, but in in that specific case, like, if I sat down to play Tactics, I would not skip through the cutscenes. I watch those cutscenes because those cutscenes are amazing. But <laughs> but with would I play a game like that without the story? Yeah, I, th- I think I would. Um and I mean, Animal Crossing is, 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 it's, it's cow clicker. I mean, it's, it's nothing. Yeah. It's, it's... Well, and in fact, like N- Nintendo's games get a lot of crap because their stories are really never, I mean, there's ex- exceptions like Majora's Mask, if you want to dig into it, is very interesting. But, um, you know, most of their stories are like, eh, I don't really care. Yeah. Shut up, Al. I just want to go. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, and, they're, Zelda is probably their most story driven franchise. And most people are just like, yeah, I don't know. Green guy. Like I'm running around. There's fairies. <laughs> there's seven or three of something to collect. <laughs> and then some giant game mechanic will open up like traveling through time or traveling between light and dark versions. Yeah. And then there's seven more things to get. <laughs> and then you begin and, and like, it's it's all just so transparently a skeleton in place to to be there, and maybe it would be weird without it for Zelda, um, but 
again, Portal. Actually, Portal has an amazing story, but well, so, even so, so, somehow it's all gameplay too. But Portal, I think, is closer in uh, narrative. Uh, no, that's not the right word. It's it's closer in the way it delivers its narrative to um, like Super Metroid. Like Super yeah. Metroid has one of the greatest openings of probably any Super Nintendo game, maybe even in like top 100 games because the game starts and if you don't have any saves, it just the game starts and it's like the last Metroid is in captivity. And then you go to the, the like little space station thing. And this is the literally the only time in the entire game you see other physical humans and they're all dead. They're just <laughs> strewn about the facility dead everywhere and then when you make your heroic exit and it goes again to the title screen you see the little metroid in the captivity like the little container unit thing and it's just like oh like you know an hour ago those people were all alive and doing science (laughs) and and then like that's it then you're just alone like on this barren planet and everything is all terrible and but you feel like there's a rich world. It's just not being, it's not only is it not spoon fed to you, like it's not fed to you at all. You starve to death, Like, but you, you're you like, you want it. You know, there's a narrative behind the gameplay. It's just not really presented to you in an obvious and consumable way. And portal. I mean, there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of interaction, especially in portal two, where they really fleshed out the universe, but it's, it's never really spoon fed to you. Yeah, it's it's totally organically like in the some of the most brilliant way I've ever seen, and like the Half Life Two and the episodes that follow it kind of embody this too, where they rare they pretty much never take away your agency. You can run around and <laughs> do stuff, and they rarely like lock you in a room and say, "No, you listen." <laughs> um, you know, it's very very short periods of time where that you're ever like sitting somewhere. It's usually like you're riding an elevator and you have pretty things to look at, and you're like, oh, yeah. you can talk to me while this happens." Yeah. I can't do anything. Anyway, for a legitimate or semi-legitimate reason. <laughs> but I mean, I can imagine this, you know, Fire Emblem-like game where, you know, in battle number one, I, you know, let's say I have on like a red cape because I'm allied with the, the red cape people. And then like somewhere between battle nine and ten, like now I have no cape. And it's like, it's a really subtle thing, but like, oh, look, my little character model, like because of this light story they're sprinkling across, like he is no longer allied with the people that he was at the beginning. And then like a few battles later, now he has on a blue cape and it's like, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, that sounds like really silly, but those kinds of little details can communicate a lot. And because they get the, the theater of the mind going and they make you start like leaping to conclusions they don't even necessarily have to have good answers. I mean, it's the stupid top at the end of Inception. Like, uh, wh- what's his name? <laughs> Nolan was like, there isn't an official ending. I ha- I have never decided whether he's dreaming or not because... When, and if we're talking Inception, the top was his <laughs> wife's totem, not his. That's right. So it's irrelevant. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's Inception irrelevant. <laughs> it's irrelevancy <laughs> within irrelevancy. But that, that's exactly what I mean is it's... Uh, you know, good story can be completely fabricated in the mind of the the viewer, or in this case, the player. And 
I'm basically like I'm somehow talking myself into buying a mobile adaptation of a game series I've never played because I'm like this sounds awesome. <laughs> I can't wait till I get to the part with the blue cape. Surely they can't <laughs> disappoint you now. <laughs> Are you? Uh, did you ever play Animal Crossing? Yes. Okay. Does this seem like a game that would translate to mobile well? I mean, isn't it like The Sims? Yeah. It's basically The Sims. Yeah. Yeah. It's like weird Nintendo Japanese Sims <laughs> where you're like a dog, cat. Or no, you're actually a person, but it's full of like dog, cat. Yeah. Like everyone people. else is an animal. There's a very bizarre, um, uh, oh God, Starbomb song that's from the point of view of the, the, I think the dog character that brings you to the animal crossing town. And I mean, it's just littered with profanities and obscenities and it's really very childish humor, but it, the whole song is about how you're basically a captive in this town and you can't leave even if you want to, because you've been sold a house that you now have to pay off. And it's like everyone it's house poor, the game, everyone just relies on you for everything. Like it's, it's good stuff. Um, but I mean, would, would you play animal crossing on your iPhone? That's the question. I never got that hooked on the DS. Um, Shelby played it a lot, so I really should go ask her. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Shelby. (laughs) (laughs) If she has something particularly amazing to say about it, this is the point where I'll cut it into the episode. And if I just went on talking just now, she didn't have anything particularly amazing to say about it. (laughs) Or I didn't even ask her. That the far more likely outcome to this conclusion, but but the listeners will never know for sure now. Well, they'll have to check our talk show room. Oh. <laughs> God, it's coming, isn't it? We're gonna have to follow through on that promise. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't just cut out all the parts where I said I would give it a fair shake. That would take forever. <laughs> all right, it's too laborious. It's way too laborious. I'd rather just follow through on my word. <laughs> All right, are we calling it? I think we are absolutely calling it. All right. Thank you for listening to episode 117 of Flipping Tables. As always, you can find show notes for links to all these articles we discussed at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 117. Me and Lions love feedback, and we're on Twitter. So uh, please tweet at us. Uh, we respond very quickly and very thoroughly and probably more than you want. Um, especially <laughs> if you criticize us, we will get very defensive. Um, and that's always a good time. So you can tweet me at pseudo Michael, S-U-D-O Michael. And Lions, you are? At Lions in Beta. And uh, while you're looking at our show notes, you know, just switch the tab back from Twitter because you were on Twitter just a second ago. Um, you can subscribe to our show. So if you have a smartphone, you probably do. Um, it probably came with the podcast app, or if it didn't, there are some good ones we'll mention in a second. But you can use the either the iTunes or the RSS button, and uh, maybe if we get our crap together, we'll have some other buttons for like Google Play and so forth. Google Play Music Podcast. Um, <laughs> anyway, if you, if you don't have an app on your phone and you, you are interested in starting to listen to more podcasts, like Sunrise Robot Shows, uh, you could use Overcast.fm on iOS or Pocket Casts on Android is another great choice. Or find your own. I mean, you can, there's a search button in your app, so figure it out. Um, and then you can just search for Flipping Tables or Sunrise Robot or use the buttons on our website to subscribe. 
If you'd like to support us directly, we have a Patreon. If you head to patreon.com slash sunrise robot, you can actually pledge monthly to our network, which helps us. It's awesome. We thank you so much. And depending on the level you uh, support us at, uh, you get your name mentioned at the end of Flipping Tables or at the end of every Sunrise Robot show. And so with that, special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, House Poor Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ida Abramovich, and Justin Edwards. We love you all. So, so much. See you next week. Thank you.